Today's passage comes from Genesis 24, verses 42 through 48. I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I am standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, Please give me a little water from your jar to drink, and who will say to me, Drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebekah came out with her water on her shoulder, water jar on her shoulder, shoulder. And she went down to the spring and drew water. I said to her, Please, let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will give your camels drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels drink also. Then I asked her, Whose daughter are you? She said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nathor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms. Then I bowed my head and worshipped to the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. This is God's word for us. You may be seated. Good morning. Welcome to Grace. My name is Josh Habman, and that's really loud. Turn me down just a little bit. There we go. I want to hear my voice. I'm sure you want to hear my voice, but maybe not quite that much. We are in our series called Living Stones, and we've been in this series for a while now, and this series seeks to explore the lives of men and women who lived many, many years ago, many thousands of years ago, and it asks the question, what are these people doing? What is God doing in these people's lives that makes them look like living stones? We've told you before that a living stone is just somebody who God is using to build into his spiritual house, a place and a people where his spirit will dwell. And so a lot of our messages up until this point have been about individuals, about men and about women and about how God is working in their individual lives. And this week, it's a little bit different. This week, we are talking about a bunch of people, and the passage is a story. Passages the story of Abraham's servant going and finding a wife for Abraham's son. Now, I cannot promise you that if you are a young man looking for a wife that you will find practical advice here this morning. It is very likely that you will not find practical advice unless you have a servant that you can send to your father's people. But I think there are many things that we can learn today about trusting God and about following his plan. In fact, that is what we are going to talk about this morning, following God's plan. And I am going to show you uh, how you can discern God's plan, how you can follow his plan through hardship and follow it into goodness. And we're going to read through much of the story today. And I'm going to point out different people throughout the story, different people who are experiencing God's plan in different ways. And the first person I'm going to point out before we even get going this morning is Abraham's servant. Now, we don't know exactly who Abraham's servant is other than what the scripture tells us. The scripture tells us that the servant he sends to find a wife for his son is his oldest servant. It is very possible that it is the same servant that was mentioned previously in Genesis whose name is Eleazar, somebody who would have been 
who would have been Abraham's heir if Isaac had not been born. So just think about following God's plan for this man. This man who would have received everything that Abram had earned. And by a couple of different accounts, Abraham is very rich by the standards of his day. Lots of flocks and herds, lots of uh, sheep and cattle, right, that belong to him. He's a pretty rich guy. And Eleazar, his servant, would have stood to inherit all of this. But he's not going to anymore because Isaac was born. And so now he's being charged with finding Isaac a wife. So cementing the fact that he is not going to be the inheritor, cementing the fact that uh, all the inheritance is going to go to somebody else. So just think about that. Think about uh, Abraham wanting to see the promise. We've been talking about the promise uh, fulfilled. We've been talking about how God has said, I will make you a great nation. It took forever for Isaac to show up. And now Isaac has finally shown up and he hasn't married yet, hasn't had any kids yet. So it, it looks maybe like the promise isn't going to continue. Think about Isaac who at one point was bound by his own father and placed on an altar. And now he's off the altar, and now it looks like God is going to fulfill the promise, but he doesn't have a wife yet, doesn't have kids yet. So think about all these people as we go through this. Think about yourself as we go through this. What does it mean to follow God's plan? Let's pray, and then we'll see what the Scripture says. Lord, help us to understand what it means to follow your plan today, uh, as all of these people have in the past. Help us to understand from this story how you work in our hearts and lives, how we can follow you, Lord, even when it's hard, and how we can follow you toward very good things, Lord, the, the best things, the things that you know are best for us, even though they're not the things that we would always choose for ourselves. Open our eyes and open our ears to your word this morning. I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. So let's start here. What does it mean to discern God's plan? Well, to start, you have to know his will. You have to know his purpose, his desire. What does he want to see happen? And I'm going to preach this sermon two ways. And before you get too concerned, don't hear me say I'm going to preach one sermon and then immediately preach a second one. That's not what I said. I'm going to preach it two ways. I'm going to talk to you first about what the Old Testament says and about how the people in this story would have understood this story. But I'm also going to talk to you about how you should understand this story as people who are living after the fact, as people who are living after Jesus has come. Because there are two different things that we need to understand. But first, understand how Abraham and Isaac, Abraham's servant, all of the people in the story would have understood they needed to know God's will to discern God's plan. So what, what do we know about God's will for Abraham and Isaac? I'm just going to turn back to 22. I'm going to read verses 15 through 19 because this is God talking to Abraham at the end of the sacrifice scenario. So Abraham is going to sacrifice his son. God provides a ram so he does not have to sacrifice his son. And so there's a substitution made. And now Isaac is off the altar. We're praising God for that. And God says to Abraham, the angel of the Lord called Abraham, verse 15, a second time from heaven and said, by myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord, Because you've done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And so Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and they went together to Beersheba and Abraham lived in Beersheba. Abraham has had the opportunity to listen to God's voice straight from heaven. 
And you, all of you would probably say, that'd be great if God would do that. I have a number of decisions that I would like him to make for me. If he could just let me know from heaven this morning, that would be excellent. And we don't often experience God's voice that way. And we will talk about prayer, and we will talk about the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. But for Abraham, it's just a direct one-to-one. God has spoken to him, and so he knows God's will because God has spoken. But he had to listen, right? He had to listen. What did God say? God said, I want to make you a people. And he said that a number of times, and now he's affirming it one more time. Now that Abraham has not withheld Isaac, He's been willing to give up the thing he treasures most to God. And God says, good, you trust me and not the gift that I'm giving you. Therefore, I want to take that gift and I want to multiply it. Not just for your sake, but for the sake of the whole world. I want to multiply it. And so trust my promise. And here's how Abraham trusts his promise. He acts on it in faithfulness. Let's read the first 10 verses here of chapter 24. Now, Abraham was old, well-advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? And Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and who spoke to me and swore to me, To your offspring I will give this land, he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife from my son, for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. And so the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. And then verse 10, And then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master, and he rose and he went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. Abraham knows God's will because God has spoken to him. So he's listened. He has heard God say multiple times, I want to bless you. I want to make you a nation. I want to make you a blessing to the people of the world. I want to bless all of the nations of the world through you. So he's heard that. So he knows that his son needs a wife. His son needs a family. And so he's going to provide for his son in the way that God has told him he ought to provide for his son. So he listens to God and he trusts God and he tells his servant, I want you to go and get my son a wife. And his servant has to act in faithfulness right along with him. I told you we'd be looking at multiple people. So here's Abraham acting in faithfulness. Here is Abraham trusting the promises. And here is his servant trusting the promises. Here is his servant saying, I will do what you're asking me to do. What's the whole business with putting his hand under his thigh? Well, I don't know exactly. In fact, commentators don't know exactly. But I can guarantee you this. If you put your hand under another man's thigh, you are very close Right? It's not something you can do from a distance. And my understanding, from the best understanding that we have available to us, is that it's just an act of submission. That you are submitting to each other and you're saying, we are in a bond together. We are very close. And understand this is very important. So they commit to this bond together. Please go do this thing. So his servant loads up camels and he goes. How far does he go? It's about 500 to 600 miles by camel. So roughly for us, right, it'd be like going to Cleveland or Nashville, roughly about that distance. 
So imagine all of you, fathers, mothers, you want a bride, you want a husband for your child, and you find somebody and you load them up with camels and you send them to Cleveland. You probably don't have a whole lot of faith in that scenario, right? What happens to them? Who knows what happens to them? All kinds of things could happen to them, but that's exactly what Abraham does. Because he knows that it's more important that the bride not come from Canaan, not come from the land where all kinds of temptation exists to worship other gods. It's more important that the bride come from a place where he came from. Now, that doesn't mean that, that, doesn't mean that Mesopotamia is a God-fearing nation. And in fact, we will see uh, Rebecca, who is Isaac's bride, we will see that her family worships other gods later in these stories. So it's not as though it's a God-fearing people, but God knows that it is best for this situation that the bride not come from Canaan. And so they act in faithfulness. So here's the first part. You want to know what God's will for your life is. You want to understand what he would have you do, how you should make the decisions you're supposed to make. Start by finding out what his will is, listening to his will, and then trust what you find out and then act in faithfulness. And don't stop there. Follow his plan through hardship. Expect uncertainty. Expect the unexpected you have probably heard. Know that there will be things that you cannot account for and that trusting in God will mean trusting in God through difficulty. It's great to trust God if everything is going your way, right? It's, it's easy. You don't mind it. It's not a problem. But when it is a problem, when there are difficult things happening, it becomes a lot harder. So you're going to have to pray. And again, you're going to have to act in faithfulness. So let's see what this looks like in the story. We're telling a story. This is a story of God's faithfulness and of people's faithfulness to God. Verse 11. And he, that's the servant, made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I'm standing by the spring of water. The daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels, let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master." Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, came up, and then the servant ran to meet her, and he said, please give me a little water to drink from your jar. And she said, drink, my lord. She quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink, and when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water. And she drew for all of his camels. And the man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. Do you see him praying? Do you see him expecting there's going to, there's going to be some decisions to make? He shows up. He goes to this town, right? It's like you've sent your... You've sent your emissary or ambassador to this far place, but he still has to find the girl. Mesopotamia is a pretty big place, and so he doesn't know who's there. He doesn't know uh, who is the family of Abraham, right? He can't look up their picture on his phone and just walk around town. 
So he has to find this person. He says, God, I don't know how this is going to work, but here's, here's what I think could happen. I know women come to the well. I'm going to go to the well. Could you show me the right one, please? I'm going to pray to you. I'm going to ask. And he's going to pray throughout. We're going to see that not only does he pray and ask, but he also prays, uh, prays and praises. So he's praying without ceasing. He is constantly seeking the Lord, expecting uncertainty, but praying without ceasing and again acting in faithfulness. So we see him praying. Um, we're going to see him praying again. We see him expecting uncertainty here at the beginning. I don't know which woman it's, which woman it's going to be, but we're also going to see it later in verse 55. I'm just going to turn there and read this verse because this is the level of uncertainty that we're dealing with. Not just which woman is it, but then we get to verse 55 and the servant wants to leave to bring Rebecca back to Isaac And her brother and her mother said, verse 55, let the young woman remain with us a while, at least 10 days. After that, she may go. Is she going to come back or not? The servant doesn't know it yet, but this is is Laban. Later, Laban is going to pull this trick a couple of different times with Jacob. Right? This is a pattern this guy is in. We want to give you good gifts, but not yet. Just hold on. Just wait here. Just work for me for seven more years. There's all kinds of uncertainty. You know this from your life. You have prayed and you've asked God, show me direction. And God gives you direction. And maybe you get a new job or you move to a new place or something happens in your family. And then all kinds of trials show up. All kinds of struggles show up. So what's your response? You say, well, it's harder than I thought. I'm going to get on the camels and I'm going to go back home. Or do you begin to pray? Do you seek the God who has called you to this place? Do you ask for his wisdom? Do you ask for his direction? Do you act in faithfulness? So it appears to the servant as if God has answered his prayer. It appears like this is happening exactly the way he hoped it would. He didn't know how he would find a girl. He asked for God to show him how to find a young woman to bring home to Isaac. And now it would appear, it would appear that he has done that. Let's pick up the story in 22. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring, wearing a half a shekel, two bracelets for her arms, weighing ten gold shekels. And he said, please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. And she added, we have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. And the man bowed his head and he worshiped the Lord. He continues to pray, but now in praise. And says, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. God has shown me his plan. I trusted his plan through hardship and he is prospering me. He is leading me toward goodness. I'm going to praise the Lord for that. The young woman ran, told her mother's household about all these things. Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. Verse 29, Laban ran out toward the man to the spring, and as soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebecca, his sister, thus the man spoke to me. He went to the man, and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. He, Laban, said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. And so the man, the servant, came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels, and there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. And then food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. And then they told him, speak on. 
I want to stop there because this also is acting in faithfulness. See how the servant, again, the servant who very likely was the one who stood to inherit from Abraham, the servant is now acting entirely on somebody else's behalf. He's working for the good of Isaac. He sees that God's plan is to prosper Isaac in this way, not to make him Abraham's heir, but to make Isaac the heir. And so he says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go to a faraway place, a dangerous journey. I have no idea what's going to happen. I'm going to find a girl. don't know how to find her, but I'm going to trust you, God. I'm going to act in faithfulness. I'm going to pray to you, God. I'm going to ask for your wisdom. I'm going to praise you, God, and let you know that I understand that you're the one who's doing this. And now when it seems like everything is going right, I'm not going to just enjoy it. But instead, I'm going to act in faithfulness. I'm going to do exactly what it is you're calling me to do, which is tell you that I need a wife. I need to come back with a girl. I didn't just come here to put bracelets on uh, Rebecca's arms and put a, a nose ring in and just adorn her with jewelry. I came here to take her home. So your daughter, your sister, understand I'm going to take her five, 600 miles away to a land that none of you have ever been to, to a place you've not seen. You just have to trust me on this. But he's acting in faithfulness. Hardship now has changed, right? Everything seems to be going his way. But now think about Laban and Rachel and Bethuel. Think about, or Rebecca, I'm sorry, not Rachel. Think about all of these people and the situation they're in. Now they're, their turn is to follow God through hardship. Are they going to follow God's plan? Is she going to go with him? Most of you are not ready to send anybody out 500, 600 miles to find a bride. I guarantee none of you are ready to send your daughter with a man who shows up at the town well. Right? Absolutely none of you. Any of you who have daughters, I have daughters, right? Nobody is going to come into my house today and say, God sent me for your daughter. I've got 10 camels. I've got some gifts for you. It'll be great. Let me take her. But that's exactly what they have to do. So how does that happen? Let's see how that happens. The servant says, verse 34, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old, and to him he has given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, in whose land I dwell. But you shall go to my father's house, and to my clan and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me, but he said to me, The Lord, before whom I have walked, will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son from my clan and from my father's house, and then you will be free from my oath when you come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. And then he recounts the story of what happened, and he tells them the story of God's faithfulness, about how he prayed to God, about how God answered that prayer. So the situation is the same, just as it was for Abraham's servant, where he had to decide, uh, is this God's will? I need to know God's will. I need to listen to him. I need to follow him. Even through this hardship, now we see the exact same pattern repeated, where Rebecca's family, Rebecca and her family, have to do the exact same thing. Are they going to listen to God? Are they going to follow his plan? Are they going to pray to him? Are they going to seek his favor? Or are they going to seek their own? You see, God is calling them, God is calling us to follow him and follow his plan into goodness, but it's his definition of goodness. And it's in his time and it's to further his plan. So when we talk about following God's will, 
understand that we are not talking about how do I get what I want. Often when we ask the question, what is God's will, the end goal is to determine how do I get what I want. And God doesn't want you to get what you want. You choose poorly for yourself. How many of you have been out to dinner with a child and you look at the menu and you see all of the good options on the menu and they choose chicken nuggets? You're like, look at all of these foods that you could eat that are good options for yourself. They're like, yeah, I want this one. You're like, but that's not great for you. They're like, I don't care. I like it. We are the exact same way. God has given us himself, and we choose chicken nuggets. So he says, if you're going to follow my plan through hardship into goodness, understand that I get to define what's good. And I get to give it to you in my time. And when I give it to you, it is going to be to further my plan. Not to further yours. So this is what happens. Uh, Rebecca, I already read the verse uh, 55. Her brother and her mother say, hey, let her stay with us. But she says, or they say, I'm sorry, verse 57. Let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah and their sister and with her, her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men, and they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Which, if we recall, is exactly what God has planned for Isaac's children. Then Rebekah and her young women rose and rode on the camels and followed the man, and the servant took Rebekah and went his way. And then if you read on, you see the account of, Abraham, of, of Isaac rather, and Rebekah meeting each other. Um, Isaac is out in a field. He's meditating or he's praying. He's, he's contemplating. He's out thinking. And uh, Rebekah sees him from far off. And she says, who is this? And the servant says, that's him. That's the guy. And so they come together and they're married. And it's, I'm sure it's very romantic, right? Two people who have never met each other, instantly falling in love. I'm sure there was running across the field in slow motion. Sure, there was an orchestra playing somewhere off to the side with the music swelling. Of course, none of that happened, right? There were camels. There were camels making a mess. It smelled bad, right? She was hot and dirty and dusty from being on the road. He was hanging out in a field. It wasn't pretty, but it was beautiful. It was good according to God's definition. In his time, according to his plan, to further his plan, it was good. But we can't stop there. We have to go on into Genesis 25. So this is all from Genesis 24. But we have to go into Genesis 25 because if you read in Genesis 25, you'll see that goodness by God's definition is not going to look like even what Isaac and Rebekah expect. Isaac and Rebekah, so far, up until this point that we've read, it's looked pretty good for them. It's looked pretty good for them. Isaac needed a bride from his father's people and the servant went and he found a bride. And Rebecca is just living at home, and all of a sudden this guy, this very wealthy man, in fact, shows up from out of town, gives her lots of gifts, gives her family lots of gifts, and says, I'm going to take you, and I'm going to make you a part of this family that's been blessed by God. So it's a little scary. She has to go five, 600 miles away and marry a man she's never met. But it's a good thing. Everybody thinks it's a good thing so far. But let's talk about God's timing. Genesis 25, starting in verse 19. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of uh, Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. 
And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Isaac had to wait until he was 40 for God to bring a wife. And then we find out later that this praying for his wife to conceive, that's 20 years. Isaac and Rebekah are married for 20 years before God gives them a child. So yeah, they follow God into goodness for their marriage, and they love each other, and there's, no, there's never any indication in Scripture that they don't. So we, we believe it's a healthy marriage. It's a good and happy marriage. But for 20 years, they can't have children, and that's its own problem, right? For those of you who have struggled to conceive, who want to, you know how difficult that is. It's even more of a problem for Isaac because he understands, he knows from the voice of God himself that he is supposed to carry on the covenant, that he is supposed to be the father of many nations just like his father was. And for 20 years, he has not had a child. So it is goodness by God's definition, but not theirs. I guarantee it's not their definition of goodness. They did not want to wait 20 years. But God asks them to wait 20 years. His timing, Genesis 25, 24 through 26. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red, his body hairy like a cloak, so they called his name Esau. And afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau. And so his name was called Jacob, and Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. How many 60-year-old men we have here that are ready to start raising twins? Anybody? 60-year-old women could handle it, but 60-year-old men? None of you are. But that's what Isaac was asked to do. And as we go on, this pattern repeats itself of waiting, of waiting and waiting and waiting. Jacob is going to be born. Uh, This is Jacob being born. I'm sorry. Jacob and Esau being born. Jacob goes for 77 years before he gets married and starts having kids. So not only does Isaac have to wait for 20 years for his wife to give birth, but then he has to wait another almost 80 years to see his son have sons. The whole time for them is spent waiting to see how God is going to fulfill his promise. And God is always fulfilling his promise. It's not like he's not. It's just that it's in his time. And then it's to further his plan. If you get into Genesis 28, what I was just alluding to happens. Jacob gets sent to find his own wife in the same place where his mother came from. And it looks like a repeat of the same story because it's structured that way. It's intended to. Jacob has to go and find a bride just like Isaac had to have a bride from this other place. But that's God's plan. That's his intention. That's how he wants it to work out. So you will be able to follow God into goodness. That will be a thing that you can do, but you have to trust that it's his definition of good and in his time. Now, I told you when we started that I needed to preach this sermon two ways because this is all true for these folks, and it's all true for you as well, but there's more that we know now because Jesus has come, and that is good news. That is the gospel. So let's talk about how we understand this in light of the gospel. How do we discern God's plan for us today? Abraham had to listen to God when God spoke to him out of heaven. We get to listen to Jesus every single day just by reading his word. We get to listen to Jesus every single day just by being in the body of Christ, by having the Holy Spirit in us. Paul describes it this way. He says, don't be conformed to the pattern of the world any longer. He says, if you've been born again, if you have accepted Jesus into your heart, 
you confessed your sins and asked for forgiveness and accepted him into your heart as your Lord, as your Savior, then you can be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You can lay down the things that you want. He says, offer, your, offer yourselves as living sacrifices. Lay down your definition of goodness and your definition of the right timing and your definition of the plan. Lay all of that down and let your mind be transformed. Instead, think about God's definition of goodness, his timing, his purposes. And follow his plan through hardship, sharing in Christ's sufferings. Why? Why should we want to share in the sufferings of Christ? I'm going to read to you for what, from what Peter says to us about that. 1 Peter 4, starting in verse 12, says this. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian... Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin in the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? If the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. It's not just about trusting God without any knowledge of what might happen. It's about trusting God with the knowledge that Jesus has died and rose again, that he laid down his life and took it back up again so that you could have eternal life with him. So when we say follow God's plan through hardship by sharing in his suffering, we're saying walk the path that Jesus walked. Be his disciple. Do what he is calling you to do on a daily basis. We see this sort of grand narrative here with Abraham's servant going to a different land and finding a bride for Isaac. And that seems like a big deal and is kind of a big deal. And that's not the sort of daily decision that most of us face. The daily decision that most of us face is, are we going to follow Jesus today or not? Are we going to read his word? Are we going to pray? Are we going to be in right relationship with him? Are we going to walk, keep in step with the spirit? Because this is the last part. Following God's plan into goodness means being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's his gift to us. He himself is his own gift to us, to inhabit us, to live inside of us, to empower us to do all of the things that he's calling us to do. So following God's plan into goodness is going to require you to submit yourself to him so that he comes and lives inside of you. But that's what he wants to do, and that's what's best for you. Right? You would choose the lesser thing for yourself. I choose the lesser thing for myself. He wants to give you himself to dwell inside of you. That's his plan. So this morning, uh, let me close by reading from Ephesians. Starting in verse 15 of chapter 5, Ephesians 5.15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, 
addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We say be filled with the Spirit. What does that mean? For sure it means this. It might also mean some other things because God's Holy Spirit moves in many and powerful ways and we see lots of different ones in Scripture. But for sure it means this. And most of us are struggling with just this. So let's start here. Let's start with looking carefully at how we walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. We know the days are evil. We open our eyes every morning and we see in the mirror that the days are evil. We see on the news that the days are evil. We see in our children and our neighbors and our spouses. So let's make the best use of this time. God has given us this time to follow his will. What is his will? How do we know his will? Don't be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Not to get drunk with wine, right? But be filled with the Holy Spirit and address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart and giving thanks always. The will of God is that we have an attitude that we be like Christ, that we seek to live in this world as he lived in this world. That's his will. And if you read uh, further in Romans, I alluded to here at the beginning of being transformed by the renewing of your mind, it says, if this happens, you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. If your mind is transformed, if you submit to him, if you read his word instead of consulting your thoughts, right? if you read his word instead of just meditating on what you heard on a talk radio program, if you read his word and are submitting to him and to one another in Jesus Christ, you'll know what God's will is. You won't have to go up on a mountain and sacrifice your son to hear the voice of God. You will hear God's plan for you because he has already told you in his word. So let's start here. All of us have journeys that God is calling us to take. All of us have uh, work that he wants us to do. Scripture says that he has prepared good work in advance for us to do. So he has things for us to do. If we want to know his will, if we want to follow God's plan, it will require that we pray. So let's start there. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us today, this day, to grab hold of the word that you have given us, to listen to your voice, Lord Jesus, to act in faithfulness, as Abraham's servant did. Lord, going to a far country to find a a wife, not knowing which girl would respond, not knowing which girl to choose, Lord, not knowing if she would even choose to come back with him. Help us to be like this man, Lord, who acted in faithfulness. Help us to be like your disciples who acted in faithfulness when you gave them your Holy Spirit and they went out and they preached the word and they brought thousands into the church. Lord, I pray that we would act in faithfulness in a similar way. And Lord Jesus, I pray that we would trust your definition of goodness, your timing for your purpose and for your plan to to further your plan, not to further our own will, but to do your will, to do the good work that you've prepared for us. Help us today, Lord, we're weak. Pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. As always, we want to invite you up to pray. I told you we need to start in prayer. That was a prayer. If you need prayer for anything this morning, come up and we will pray with you. Have a good week. Go in grace.